This is Jeff Chrisman, and I'm here today speaking with filmmaker Amy Scott here at Artspace and Untitled in downtown Oklahoma City. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time today. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank I really you. appreciate it. I know this is a very busy time for you with the Dead Center Film Festival going on, and and I just appreciate it. I thought what we would do is start out if we could hear just a little bit about how, about mm-hmm. Hal and just about what inspired you to uh, to develop this. Sure thing. Um, well, Hal is my. Uh, directorial debut. It's a feature-length documentary film about the life and work of film director Hal Ashby, um, who a lot of people don't know who he is in the younger generation of um, of filmgoers. He was one of the prominent um, directors of the new Hollywood era of cinema in the 70s, um, along with, you know, Scorsese and uh, and uh, John Cassavetes and all those guys, uh, Hal Ashby made really incredible films um, that uh, that everyone loves, but not everyone can connect the dots and go, oh my gosh, he's the guy that made all, all of those, you know, Harold and Maude and Shampoo and uh, Coming Home and Being There, some really, really wonderful films. So um, my film takes a look at his journey. Uh, I like to do little case studies of the films that he made in the 70s, and it sort of parallels um, what was going on in his life at the time. He was a very rebellious um, artist uh, when it came to working with the studios. He did not compromise his vision, and that was what I found ultimately to be the most interesting um, aspect of his personality that I really tried to follow. Yeah, I, in fact, I was thinking too just about, and I actually am, am a child of the '70s, so yeah. I actually grew up watching a lot of those yeah. uh, those movies. And I was thinking just in the uh, kind of thinking back to all the amidst all the changes that were going on in the country at that time. And I was I was curious if there's anything just about you know that's anything about that time that speaks to you as far as like, everything that was going on sociologically in the mm-hmm. country and economically. And- sure, I mean, I, I think what drew me to his films is that each of them. There's like a social sort of responsibility, a social critique that that happens in every one of his films. He takes on um, racism and gentrification and the landlord. Um, he takes on, in Harold and Maude, it's sort of like this big question of like, you know, who's allowed to love who and, 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 and just being able to love whoever you want to love. Um, in Coming Home, he was sort of railing against... Um, it's an, well, it's an anti-war film, and it's uh, an anti-war film that's different from The Deer Hunter because it takes a look at uh, the plight of veterans and our treatment of um, veterans in this country. Um, and being there takes on this sort of, like, uh, you know, this, the, the um, well, being there, we're actually living through being there right now. So uh, to, to look at that film, you can look at it with the lens of it was made, you know, uh, in the 1979, going heading into the 80s, and you know the Reagan era and Reaganomics, and and sort of corporate uh, America is changing, and corp- corporations sort of playing a, a heavy hand in in politics, and in it's you know I try to make the case in in the film in my film that um, all of these things that Ashby was looking at and critiquing and holding up a mirror to or exactly what we're living through right now in 2018. So I find it to be very relevant to go back and look at his films. Yeah, and I have to wonder too if... I have to wonder if a lot of people understood that, you know, as far as the kind of being, I guess, I don't know if you use the word, the phrase cautionary tales. It's a cautionary tale. Yeah, but sure. I, I, yeah. I wonder necessarily how many people really were here, you know, were hearing that back in those days. I guess it'd be hard to know for sure. Well, isn't it because, you know, 
Chauncey Gardner is just such an interesting person. I mean, he's sort of like, um, he's a lot like our president right now in some respects. I mean, he's obsessed with television. He learns everything from television, and then he immediately rises to the celebrity cult status because of mimicking things that he sees on television. So, yeah, it's a, you know, but he's also a sort of a savantish, you know, it's Peter Sellers, so, you know, it's just, it, you, you don't really know what's going on. Um, uh, in in the, the, there's a documentary about Peter Sellers. Um, it's a really good film. But they were saying, oh, no, it's actually Jerzy Kaczynski, the, the, the writer of the novel being there, was speaking about that role for Peter Sellers and saying that Sellers thought that that was his most important role and because it was the most like him which I thought was so interesting because like, hmm. I don't know who Chance, Chauncey Gardner is I mean Chance <laughs> the Gardner Chauncey Gardner is like a, such a mysterious person like of course that would be Peter Sellers like natural role that he would play anyway it's a bit of a digression oh no let's <laughs> go down the Peter Sellers rabbit hole <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely I'm definitely a big fan of, yeah. definitely a big fan of his work as well I uh, and I guess was that I think was that that his last movie that was his last movie yeah actually oh, okay. he, he had started making another film when he passed away um, and I think there's a documentary coming out about the true last film that he wasn't able to finish I believe oh okay so, yeah yeah, it's very interesting. I and I have to wonder too: is there anything in particular that you can look back and point to that that uh, inspired you to be interested in this particular time period? Oh, uh, the seventies. You know, I've just always been a, like a, a fan of everything that came out of the seventies. I was born in nineteen seventy six, and I gravitate towards music from that time. And you know, fashion for a long time. I dressed like you know, <laughs> dressed like that. Probably still do to some extent. Um, I I love the culture and the style that was that America had, you know, post post anything post 1969 pre 1980 was just a golden era for me that I like to study. I think it's fascinating. Uh, and so you know the films like I watched a lot of Cassavetes and I really sort of fell in love to that I fell in love with that kind of like realism that was portrayed um in films and I, and I think Ashby does that really well in um he shows this like realness and human like the the frailty of the human condition but the way that he does it is in such a a very cool natural way it's not it's not too arty to where it turns people off and they and they can't get into the story it's not too didactic of a of a political you know discussion that you're turned off by it it's like these stories about people that connect with each other and sometimes they're really simple stories but there's there's like a way bigger you know larger context sort of hanging overhead but it's a story that gets you in because they're they're humans oh yeah and i was and i was thinking too just about um uh hal ashby's life and in terms of and i read somewhere recently and it may have been about this film as far as the uh you know the struggles that in terms of art versus commerce yeah and i was wondering if you might uh, if you could maybe speak to that as well that you know that that's something that he was was definitely in the midst of of dealing with those you know both of those worlds and how to bridge that together for sure i mean i think ultimately that was his sort of fall from grace the ultimate downfall of his the arc of his career and i believe that that line like it's a cautionary art versus commerce my my producer lisa jansen came up with that or she said it one day and we just started sticking it in our in our log line or kind of planner because i was like that's that's really the story that we're trying to tell is that he was a singular or he was an artist with like a really singular vision towards um you know making these kinds of films these these 
personal narrative um, dramas and dark comedies. You know, these films are weird. And he fought so hard to, to maintain that creativity. But as the, the that era of filmmaking evolved in the 80s, the, there's... Um, and I make this point in the, in the, in my film is that all of those independent film companies were bought up and started to become these sort of more corporate conglomerations. And the the directors that were given you know a lot of creative latitude in the 70s that that ended really quickly because it it sort of became these like um, tentpole operations and you know sequels and and Star Wars and Jaws. These are great films too. I love Close Encounters and Jaws, but like they be, that was the dawn of the blockbuster. You know, oh, like these yeah. giant. You know, especially with Star Wars, it's like how can we market? You know, like the, the shift became it, it shifted from making these like kind of weirdo films that you could totally get away with. You know, in the seventies, and and like people would go watch them. You know, can you imagine though, like putting a film like like Minnie and Moskowitz in theaters right now? I mean, or like Harold and Maude even. Harold and Maude is like an insane decision to make that film. Like, you wanted to try to put that in a movie theater right in 2018. Oh, People yeah. lose their minds. Like, oh, there's yeah. no way. Because it's not about that anymore. It's like, like how, like how are we going to market this into a McDonald's Happy Meal and sell, you know, sell the different variations of soul off of the film? So, yeah, he fought against that. He railed against it. And, and ultimately, it was a tale of, of, you know, what happens when you don't cave in. You know, how do, how do these, what did these guys do, you know? And they shut, they shut him out. They did a lot of bad things to him. So it was, a, it was, it was cr- ridiculous. It was crazy because he was such a creative, amazing, phenomenal director. And I was thinking about at his age, I understand, you know, that he, in terms of, you know, growing his hair out and, yeah. and, and being more free thinking for someone, I was shocked. I didn't realize how old he was or what his age was he during that era. He didn't make his, he didn't, um, you know, he was an editor for, for a long time before he made The Landlord. And The Landlord, the landlord was his first, um, uh, uh, that was his first directorial, you know. Um, debut that one anyway he was 40 years old when he made the landlord so oh wow so to start your you know to start directing at 40 is awesome so oh, I, yeah. I in turn did the same thing <laughs> so i edited for years and then i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna start directing and so we started this project too and i'm like well at least i'm i'm not too late hell ashby did it yeah. so oh yeah <laughs> absolutely. never too late <laughs> Absolutely, and then and then I one of the things I was fascinated with, and which I'm really looking forward to seeing the film, is is just understanding. Am I correct in that he became a little bit more uh, what's the word I'm trying to use? Isolated. As um, far as did he did he tend to kind of keep to himself more as the years he, went on? Yeah, I think that he was just that kind of a guy. I mean, I think his it was it was difficult for us to make this film because there wasn't a lot of. Like, he didn't do a lot of press. He was never... He was a guy that was behind the camera. He came from the editing bay. You know, you it's a personality type. You're mm-hmm. you're introverted. You're holing up by yourself, making movies in the dark, alone, you know, like, and in, in thriving. And then that was just the kind of guy he was. I'm sure as he got older and more famous, it. I'm sure it just sort of extended into all areas of his life. I mean, he lived in a really cool... The last home that he lived in was in Malibu Colony, and... Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Malibu Colony, but it's very difficult to even get into mm. to this little tiny <laughs> little neighborhood. And he just had this really kind of unassuming house with a cool hot tub, and you know, he smoked a lot of probably really good marijuana, and <laughs> you know, was making movies until the you know till the, right up until the very end. So wow. So yeah, he, he yeah, 
he probably are right in that he he might have gotten slightly <laughs> slightly more introverted <laughs> as time went on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it really is it's a, it's it's uh, an interesting story. I, I was thinking, in fact, I've started uh, watching some of those. I actually went yeah. back and pulled a list of all the movies that were released, you know, like 70, 71, yeah. 72, and it's just amazing to go back and see this snapshot of the way the country. I mean, I can remember it in my mind, but to see it on film is just incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, you had Watergate going on. There was so much going on, and but the felt like network or you know like I don't know what's your what your network was um hmm. but that was it that that's another film like i try to imagine if that came out today it should it's just such a you know they they made movies they were so fearless in that era and ashby embodied so much of that ashby embodied the era when my producer brian morrow he's always like saying and i think it's really poignant he's like ashby when ashby died that era of filmmaking died and, wow. I, and I really think that's true. I think there was just there was a lot of that that creativity that just sort of stopped. It. Yeah, it's, it's it's it definitely feels like a shift, you know, with yeah. global capitalism really yeah. starting to hit its apex in the eighties. Yeah, and yeah. Looking back, it's it's really weird how things do seem very different since that time. Yeah. And then, as far as your uh, maybe taking a look just at your own life journey, mm-hmm. it would be really neat to hear, uh, you know, if you share a little bit about how you got interested in you know filmmaking and. And just, you know, kind of a little bit about your life journey and, and how that led to that. Well, Jeff, I'm from Lawton, Oklahoma, which you might have heard is a yeah. quaint little military town <laughs> um, south of here. Um, my parents were, they're retired public educators, so um, that translates to lifelong learning. <laughs> so they were always, like, you know, letting us uh encouraging us to watch movies and read books, a lot of books, read as much as you can, and listen to music. And my dad was really intent on, um, you know, sharing their vinyl collection with us and sitting me down and like, okay, this is, now this is when George Martin really started messing with the Beatles recording style, Hmm. you know, so I got into, and this is all like, you know, pre-internet, so now you can just sort of jump on the internet and disappear you know escape on your phone or your computer and and find the culture that that you're craving but it was a lot harder then so i wanted to i knew that i wanted to do something in the arts you know i studied painting for a little while and it's like I'm, I'm actually a terrible painter so um i know that i love films uh and so i, I went to ou and uh, got in the film and video studies program there and there was a professor that i had uh, Misha Nedeljkovic, and he—I didn't know the first thing about documentaries. I, you know, I—I I, I remember watching like Imagine, you know, the John Lennon documentary. I watched it over and over, and I was like, "This is a really cool movie. I love learning from this movie." Um, and then Misha in college was like, "There are so many great films, documentaries that you need to watch." And so he was like, "Watch, watch the Sorrow and the Pity," which is like, you know, the Sorrow and the Pity is like, the, you know. Um, World War II, the devastation of World War II with the French. It's beautiful. And then he was like, watch Chris Marker. And I didn't know these films mm-hmm. existed. So it really did turn a big light on for me um, to know that I could even do that. And uh, there's a, a friend of mine, um, another Oklahoma filmmaker, uh, Brad Beasley, Bradley Beasley, has done some incredible films. And he made a film, I remember when I was in college, about R.L. Burnside. Um, 
and I thought it was incredible. I couldn't believe that you could you can do this. You can take a camera and you can follow people around. And you can ask them, bug them about their lives, and make something really entertaining and engaging and educational out of it. So um, yeah, so I just that's I, what I want. I knew I wanted to do that. So I went to Chicago for maybe about ten years. I taught myself how to edit, and I uh, worked a lot in the documentary kind of like scene there, you know, worked on a lot of PBS type um, films. And then uh, I worked, my last job was kind of a crucial, so like the turning point, I guess. I studied, um, well, I worked under Studs Terkel. And oh, wow. so uh, the Chicago History Museum had his uh, audio archives there. And it was, um, it was the most magical, like, thing I've ever seen. It was a vault, a huge vault of floor-to-ceiling audio reels and they were labeled you know studs conversations with Mahalia Jackson or you know James Baldwin or anybody that you can think of from the 20th century that was a a prominent you know incredible American hero like uh, Pete Seeger he like had so many conversations so my job was to take that audio and to repair it and to digitize it so we'd run it through the you know the audio um take the, the reels off and sometimes they were real crackly and so we had to bake the reels and make sure we didn't damage them and we'd get them on and we would digitize hmm. and so that was my job so I listened to hours and hours and hours of Studs Terkel interviewing people and listening to his process like how did he get that information out of them there's like a nuanced dance as you know to you know the interview method or the process so that changed things for me, uh, where I started to kind of look at documentary film as like an opportunity to have a conversation. Um, it wasn't, you know, there's this derogatory term of like, oh, it's a talking head film, which I think is like really reductive. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, well, yeah, they're talking, but they're, we're all talking. That's the point. It's people. We want to learn. It's history. I want them to tell me, you know. Um, yeah. And then it just kind of, like, that changed it for me. I didn't have, like, a hang-up about, about that kind of, um, that method of filmmaking. And then here we are. I made a talking head film that everybody <laughs> likes. <laughs> and then, uh, do, am I understanding correctly, did you, is it, how long has it been since you moved to Los Angeles? Or how long have oh, you been I here? Think I've, I think I've been in L.A. about eight years now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, Yeah. And then back here in Oklahoma. Back, back here in, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Yeah. Back in Oklahoma. No, I thought this was, you know, the film premiered at Sundance. We've been, it's playing at uh, AFI Docs in Washington, D.C. next week. It's played all over. It's playing, it's opening in Scotland. Um, but this festival was really important to me because I'm able to show it to my family and my friends who have been so incredibly supportive for the last five years of this journey oh yeah so i get to like deliver it back to them and here's what you know we did a kickstarter or i'm sorry we did an indiegogo campaign and raised about sixty thousand dollars to that and that got us through production and that was like just bugging my family and my friends who i'm sure thought she's crazy like she doesn't stop talking about hal ashby for years i know that there's probably some people that were like is this movie happening is it are they really are they really going to finish it ever you know it's really satisfying like here you go guys we did it oh yeah (laughs) we all did it together oh absolutely that's Uh, it sounds like this is a really important weekend for you yeah yeah so it's just exciting plus coming back to oklahoma is just nice to be with my people again you know See, see my friends and family and, and friendly Okies are um, 
really special. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And then as far as if, if anyone, for instance, if they could not make it uh, to the festival this weekend, is there any way if, if, if people are interested in seeing this film, well, how, they yeah. could, how they could do that? It will be in theaters in September. Um, it opens at IFC Center in New York, and it opens L.A. the following weekend. Sorry, September 7th, and then September 14th in L.A., and then after that, we're, the Oscilloscope is the, our distributor, they're going to put it in select theaters around the country. So I'm not sure if it's coming to Oklahoma City, but um, and then after that's done, then it goes on television. So there will be. You can always go to our website, halashbymovie.com, and we'll have everything updated on there where you can see the movie. Well, very good, very good. Yeah. This has been, I really appreciate you taking the time. This yeah, has been my really pleasure. enlightening, and I'm really wishing you the best uh, tonight mm-hmm. and, and through the weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks. Jeff.